Praise God. Hey, but what we're talking about, last week I talked about the role of a pastor pretty much that there's a role. And the reason I want to do that is lay a foundation because a lot of times we're always looking at the pastor and we have preconceived notions of what the pastor is. And some people think the pastor is kind of like God, you know, and that's not really true. He is an under-shepherd for Jesus. Jesus is the shepherd and the pastor is an under-shepherd for the flock that Jesus has put him over. And this week, I want to dig deeper into why you are important in God's plan, because I see more and more today that people just seem like they become more and more disconnected with church, and a lot of that is because they don't understand that what they are doing is important, and who they are is important, and you as a human being are important in God's plan, no matter how big or how small you may be. Um, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven is where we're going to start. And, and it's a great scripture that most of us already know. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. And let's just pray about this message this morning. God, I thank you for the prayers that we've already had and the worship. I thank you for what Connie brought. Lord, just that prophetic prayer this morning that she brought to us, God. Lord, I just pray for this message this morning. God, I want people to walk out of here empowered. I want the people to walk out of here excited about what you have for their life. Lord, that you have plans to prosper them, not to harm them, plans to give them hope, and plans to give them a great future. You have great things planned for their life, Lord, because they are in your plan. And so, God, this morning, I pray that they will receive what you would have to say to the church this morning. Open their ears in Jesus' name. Praise God. So, we know that scripture, he, that he has plans for us, but I think we don't understand that his plans for us means that he has us in his plan because we don't go, uh, we don't go off wildly or, or haphazardly. God has a plan. Now, we can stray. We can get out of God's plan, and if you've ever read the Pilgrim's Progress, you know that as pilgrims, we are pilgrims on, on, the, on the journey to heaven. Uh, who has read The Pilgrim's Progress? All right, we got some people in here. It's a great book. Um, we're on a, on a journey to heaven, but sometimes we stray and we get off that path a little bit, right? Because we get out of God's plan for our life. And God's plan for our life is a part of his plan. And everybody can have a part of that plan, no matter who they are. Now, let's start in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And what I'm wanting to bring to you this morning to start out with is I want us to have an understanding that not one person in the body is more important than the other. So we're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. And it says, for as the body is one and has many parts and all the many parts of that one body are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Now, let me, let me go back a second. If you had read the scriptures before this, they were talking about the gifts of the spirit, okay, which are still active and operating today in the church. And so he was coming, Paul's coming and he's clarifying and saying, listen, there, you have all these gifts, but we're all one body. We all work together. One person is not greater than another person. If you have the spirit, the, the gift of healing, that doesn't make you better than somebody else that doesn't have the gift of healing, okay? It's just God is using you in that manner. So I'm just giving that as 
as context to this scripture here. For by one spirit we are baptized into one body, whether we are Jews or Gentiles, whether we are slave or free, and we have all been made to drink of one spirit. The body is not one part, but many. If the foot says, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear says, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Now, these things are pretty simple to read, right? But he's trying to make a point here that the same way that we view our body is the same way the body of Christ is. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were in hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has established the parts, every one of them, in the body as it has pleased him. If they were all one part, where would the body be? So there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say the hand, I have no need for you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, those parts of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those parts of the body which are we think are less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less respectful parts are treated much, uh, with much more respect. Whereas our respectable parts have no need of this, but God has given, but God has composed the body, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacks it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that the parts should have the same care for one another. If one part suffers, all parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all parts rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. God has put these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, in various tongues. Are all apostles and prophets, teachers, workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing or speak in tongues? Do all interpret those tongues? But earnestly covet the greater gifts, yet I show you a more excellent way. And here's what's really interesting. He says, yet I show you a more excellent way. And then he goes into talking about love. Because when we talk about the body of Christ, number one, if we don't have love, we are, we are nothing. If people come in here and we are healing people and people are being baptized in the Holy Spirit and all these kind of things, but we have not love, we will see those same people never come back. Because the word says that they will know you by the way that you love one another. They'll know that we are disciples of Christ by the way that we love one another. And when we begin to diminish one part of the body over another part of the body, and we say this part isn't as good as that part, and let me tell you something, it's sad that in the United States of America, it has become that anybody who sings on the stage, that that's a coveted position. That, oh, you sing on the stage, or you, 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 uh, you're the preacher, you sing on the stage, you play an instrument or something, you're somebody special. But it's so untrue, and we're going to find out today that God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't look at one person greater than the next person. As a matter of fact, he uses some regular, ordinary people to make huge strides. And we talked about, and I did not have her in here, but we talked about Rahab this morning. A lowly person, an unrespected person, was used in the lineage of David and Jesus. God has a plan for you, and it's in his plan, and you're important to that plan. Now, I got a lot of scripture this morning, but you know me, I like, I like scripture. It says, says things better than I can say it. First off, God 
thinks you're important because he wants a relationship with you. The reason that God created you, number one, was to have a relationship with him. When he created Adam and Eve, he didn't create them to be robots or angels. Angels do the bidding of God. He created them to be beings that made decisions, and he wanted them to make decisions of love for him out of their own accord, not out of compulsion. And so we see that in Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 9, and he says, when the cool of evening breezes were blowing, Adam, the man, and his wife Eve heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Number one reason that God has you in his plan and that you are important is because he wants a relationship with you. The scripture says that he doesn't want anyone to perish. If you weren't important to God's plan, he would say, hey, anybody can perish that that, that wants to perish. I don't care. But he cares so much about you. And we know the story, right? He sent Jesus. He says he loved us so much that he sent his one and only son, his only begotten son, that whoever will believe in him would be saved. He gave up his only son because he cares about you. That's why. Number one, if you say, well, I don't know why I'm important to God's plan, the number one reason is because God wants your love. Because God wants your relationship. You are important to God's plan. And you know, let me tell you something. When you talk to other people, when you talk to to somebody who's not with God right now, that's the first thing you should say. He wants a love relationship with you. Of anything else, he doesn't want your money. He doesn't want your time. He doesn't want your effort. He doesn't want you to try harder. He just wants your love, a love relationship with you. That's what he wants. That's why you, whether you know Christ or you don't know Christ, that's why you are important to him. You know how many people that might just change them a little bit to go, wait a minute, I'm important to God because he wants a relationship with me, because he wants to walk and talk with me. You know, God's plan was for Adam and Eve to multiply inside the Garden of Eden. It wasn't the plan to come out here. It was to to multiply there, and God's walking amongst them. And and when we look at the Scripture, some people say, well, how do we know that God wanted to walk and talk? Because the way the Scripture is worded here, it makes it look like that God would come down in the evening, in the cool of the day, to spend time with Adam and Eve. And could you see God walking down and saying, hey, Adam, hey, man, what's up? How's it going, dude? Yeah, man. Hey, great, man. Did you see those antelope racing the other day, man? I had my, I was looking at that one with the tall horns. I was like, yeah, he's going to win it. But he didn't do it. <laughs> he didn't make it. I don't know what Adam was, and, and God was talking about, but I could see them just, just like us talking, just like Will and I, you know, when we went to Chick-fil-A, and we're just talking about things. And I could see God pouring into Adam going, you know, Adam, when I made you, you know, that Eve over there, you know, I, I just was like, man, Adam, I don't want you to be alone. So, you know, I put you to sleep, and then I made Eve right there, and, and Adam's like, man, God, I appreciate that so much, man, because I would have been very lonely without Eve. Well, I knew that because I'm God, and I said that. If you, you know, if you knew what I said, I said he was going to be alone, so I need to make, a, make him a wife, make him a companion. You know, I, just think about God sitting and having that relationship. And, and what do we do? We think, oh, we're not important to God's plan. And God's saying, hey, if you do nothing else, could you just talk to me? People are like, how do you pray? Just talk to God. I mean, good night. You could you could sit down in your chair at the house and say, hey, God, what's going on? Yeah, I haven't had a good day, God. 
It hadn't been great, but you know, man, God, I'm, I'm still alive. I'm still kicking. My heart's still pumping. Thank you, God, for being there. Appreciate you, God. Man, this is great, you know? Going through something rough? God, man, you could cry in tears. God. What would happen in our, in our life if we realized that, that the, the number one and most important part of our plan in, in God's plan, the, what God had in his plan is for us to have a relationship with him. When we're driving down the road, when we're, when we're going somewhere and we have nothing else to do, we could just talk to God because he's there with us. Wow, what, what, a, what a concept that he just wants to have a relationship with us. What a concept for other people to know the same thing. But God used great, uh, great people that, that a lot of people didn't know a whole lot about. And here's one. We know the story of Jonah. He was uh, thrown out into sea because he was disobeying God. God asked him to go do something. And he says, on the day that Jonah entered the city of Nineveh, he shouted, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast. They put on burlap to show their sorrow. And when the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Pray earnestly to God. Who can tell? Perhaps even God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw this, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction. One man that God asked to go do something. Do you think that God could have spoke from the heavens and said, this is God, stop doing what you're doing? Yes, I think he could have done it. But instead, he took a man, and he took a man that he already knew was going to disobey him and go the other way. He took that man, Jonah. And you know, after Jonah, now listen something. Sometimes in God's plan, he's trying to teach us a lesson. Okay? Sometimes he wants to use you, and then he uses you to teach yourself a lesson that he will still use you. Jonah hated the Ninevites. The Ninevites were a very bad group of people, very bad. They were wicked, beyond all measure, wicked. And Jonah did not want to see the Ninevites receive salvation, not salvation like we know it, but being saved from destruction. And that's why he went the other direction, because he didn't want to see it. Sometimes God uses us to teach us a lesson that he has a plan for us. And he has a plan in his plan for us. And so Jonah gets on back there. And if you remember the story, after Jonah uh, tells everybody, and God saves, there's probably about 130, 150,000 people in this city. And after all those are saved, he goes griping and complaining because he didn't want them to repent. But God had to teach him a lesson. He's got a plan for you in his plan. You are important to God's plan. Even if you want to go the other direction, he can still use you. Then in, we hear about uh, this story in Exodus where Joshua's fighting the battle. It's not the battle of Jericho here. He's fighting another battle here. 
This is before Jericho. Exodus chapter 17, verse 10 through 13. It said, So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired, he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands, so his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. How many of you have ever heard of Joshua? Raise your hand. How many of you have ever heard of Moses? Raise your hand. How many of you have ever heard of Aaron? Raise your hand. How many of you before today have ever heard of her? Very few. Her. (laughs) H-U-R. We, we, we hear all the stories growing up. We hear about Moses crossing the Red Sea. We hear about Joshua in the Battle of Jericho. We hear about Aaron being the, the spokesperson for Moses because Moses says, I've got a problem of speech impediment. I don't know how to talk, God. So we've heard about all these. But how talk about the story of her? Hmm. No. I was thinking about it as I was studying this lesson, this, this, this sermon, studying for this sermon. I was thinking about it, and I was like going, I don't know that I've ever told anybody about her. Nobody. Because why? Because Aaron, Josh was a great general. Aaron was a great priest. Moses was a great, was a greater. But you want to know something. When we look at this, when we look at her, when, when he came up there and he was with Aaron, Aaron's holding up one side, and her is holding up the other side. If her wasn't over there holding up that side, they wouldn't have won that battle. Now you can say, oh, well, God could have used anybody. Exactly. He used her. He used anybody. He used anybody to hold him up. You know, in the church, when you look at Moses as the pastor, the leader of the Israelites, in the church, sometimes your biggest responsibility is holding up the pastor's arms, is holding the pastor up. And now maybe it's holding him up in prayer. Maybe it's encouraging the pastor. Maybe it's helping the family, doing those kind of things. And you may not, be, you may be that her. You may not ever get really talked about again. But you're doing God's work because you're important to God's plan. Her was important to God's plan. And you go, but what's going on? Nobody knows what I'm doing. Yeah, okay, so I'm praying behind the scenes, but nobody really sees what I'm doing. Nobody remembers who her was, but here's what's cool. Somebody's watching. Look at this. Exodus chapter 31, verses 1 through 5. The Lord said to Moses, look, I have specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uriah, grandson of her of the tribe of Judah, 
I filled him with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He is a master craftsman, expert in the working with gold, silver, and bronze. He is skilled in engraving, mounting gemstones, and in carving wood. He is a master at every craft. Now, we're talking about the tabernacle here. So why do you think this man, Bezalel, however you say his name, why do you think... Where did that work ethic come from? How did he become a master craftsman and everything? Don't you think, and we know how the Jews were, they followed in the footsteps of their, of their parents and their grandparents. Don't you think that her had a huge, huge, huge role in teaching his grandson how to do all these things? You may, be, you may look and say, oh, but I... I, I Nobody's really seeing what I'm doing. It doesn't matter because somebody is watching what you're doing and what's going to happen in the future. Yeah, maybe they're going to do that, right? Maybe maybe it's just the work ethic that you show for the Lord. Maybe it's that prayer time you show for the Lord that, that you're showing the, the people for the Lord. And, and somebody's watching. It could be a kid in the church. It could be another adult in the church that says, you know, I know something. And I'm just going to pick on somebody. You want to know something? I see that Connie. And boy, she's a prayer warrior, and she prays. And you know what? I want to. I really want to learn from her. I really want to learn how to how to pray. And, and I'm watching her, and I see what she's doing. And 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 that Juanita, man, do you watch her worship and praise and, and dance before the Lord? Oh my goodness! I want to. I want to emulate that. I want to get closer to God. I want to. I want to have that same spirit rising up in me. I want to get excited like that too. Oh, you see that Will? He's up there. He's teaching, and he's he's got his book, and he's studying during the week. And boy, that Will, I'm watching him, and that Sandy, I'm watching him, and I want to be like them one day. You know what? Maybe I'll start studying a day, so maybe one day I can take up the mantle, or maybe one day I can start another class, or maybe one day I can join the prayer team, or maybe one day I'll be a praiser in this place like nobody's ever seen, and the Spirit of God's going to fall down. Maybe this is going to happen because I'm watching that person right there. You are important to God's plan. And even when you may, may not even think that you're being noticed or that people are watching you, you are being watched. I know that the lights are bright on this platform. The lights are bright on many platforms. But I dare say, other than the pastors who are so full of themselves, go talk to those pastors. Go talk to the majority of pastors out there. And no matter how big or how small the church is, they would say this right here, I couldn't do it without the people in my church. I couldn't do it without the people in my church. I couldn't do it. And a lot of them would, would tell you this person right here that nobody even knows their name or very few people know their name. You don't know what she or he does for me. You don't understand. You know, we come in and we work on this place. You know, Will, Sachs, and I, you know, have come in and worked on this place. Uh, Billy, come and working on this place. Guys, and women have to, but I'm using the guys as an example. And then people come in this church. There's going to be people that come in this church as we finish this place up, and it looks great, and one day we'll build us another place probably. But they're going to come in, and they're not going to, think, oh, who put those lights up there? I need to know their name. No, they're going to be like, ah, oh, it looks nice in here. But you want to know something? You are important in God's plan. You are important in God's plan. Now, to the point, 
Turn over to Acts chapter 9, verse 36 through 41. I'm going to talk about one of my daughters, Tabitha. No. Tabitha. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha. She was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. About this time, she became ill and died. Her body was washed for burial and was laid in an upstairs room. But the believers had heard that Peter was nearby, so they sent for men to tell him to please come as soon as possible. So Peter returned with them, and as soon as he arrived, he took, they took him upstairs, and the room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and other clothes Dorcas had made for them. But Peter asked them all to leave. Turning to the body, he said, get up, Tabitha. She opened her eyes, and she sat up. He gave her his hand, helped her up, and called the widows and believers and presented her to them alive. Now, why do I put Tabitha in here? This is the only time you hear about Tabitha. Number one, I want you to realize something. If you go back and you read this chapter in Acts, you're going to find out that Saul's conversion happened right before this story. Saul, the apostle Paul, happened right before this story. So you've got probably the most recognizable writer of the New Testament, right? Thirteen books are attributed to the apostle Saul. Of the New Testament, his conversion, and right after his conversion, guess what? They talk about Tabitha. And I just think God put that in there to say, you know what? You are important to my plan. Tabitha was important. She, she made coats. She was a kind person. I could see she, opened her, she probably opened her house up to people to come in, and she probably prayed with them, and she loved on them, and she cared about them, and she showed them grace, and she said, hey, I can help you out. I can see Tabitha's probably one of those ladies who said, oh, you know what? You, you need a little bit of money for food? Here's some money. I don't have a lot, but here's, here's what I've got right here. I can see Tabitha as a person saying, oh, you don't have enough clothes. Let me make you some clothes. I'll take Take care of that for you. I've got the yarn. I've got everything. I'm going to take care of it. She was important to God's plan to the point that Peter, that Peter came and prayed for her and raised her from the dead. The little things that you do to show love and care and respect and grace to people, those little things are important in God's plan. It's what I said earlier. They will know you by the way that you love. They will know that you're his disciples by the way that you love one another. That you love one another. Now, we're going to go to a very hard moment in the life of Jesus. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, the olive, olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said to the disciples, he wanted them to sit there. Sit right here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John, and then he took them off with him. So he had the disciples sit here, and then he took Peter, James, and John. He said, come here. Come here. Come up here, Will. Come up here. Come on up here. So he takes them, and he's like, come on, man. Come with me. Come with me. Now, I want you to sit down. Can you just sit? All right, just you. And I'm not, I'm not going to bring three guys up here. Peter, James, and John. All right, you don't have to sit all the way around if you don't want to. And he says, sit right here. And then he says, he said to them, he was, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. So could you see, he's walking along with Peter, James, and John. He brings them over here. He's deeply troubled, and he's just distressed because he knows what's going to happen. He's got, man, I got my three guys with me. Peter, James, and John, my three guys. He brings them over there. And he says, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. 
He went on a little further and fell to the ground, and he prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass by. And he cried out to God, let your will be done, but not mine. And he returned, and he found them asleep. Sitting over here sleeping. He was sitting over here sleeping. And can you, can you see Jesus walking up and going, my goodness, I pulled these three guys away from everybody else, and here they are sleeping. And he said to Peter, he says, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you just watch with me for an hour? You go sit down there. You go down there and sit down there. Could you watch for me just for an hour? Can you just watch just for an hour? You go, wait a minute. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. What did it matter if they watched for him? He just needed somebody to have his back. He needed somebody that he just could trust in. He needed somebody that was standing, standing back there just saying, hey, yeah, we are watching. We are. Now, I understand they didn't know what was fixing to happen exactly, but Jesus asked him to do something. As small as they were, they were important. Why? It goes back to what I said earlier. The Lord wants a relationship with us. And, and yes, the, Jesus could have said, angels come down. And they would have, the angels would have came down. They would have came down and they says, he would have says, stand here and watch while I go pray. I don't want nobody getting on me, okay? Because I got to pray right now. I know what I've got to go do, but I got to pray and I don't want anybody disrupting me and disturbing me. It was something that I said. Uh, I was talking to, to, to uh, somebody not too long ago, and I'll tell the whole church this is good to know. I said, listen, on Sunday mornings, I need you to protect me from anything negative that is said. Some pastors will stay hidden away until church starts, and people go, oh, they just don't want to talk to anybody. No, they don't want anything negative to be said to them to get their spirit out of place for the service. And I said, here's what I need you to do. I need you to protect me from anything negative being said. And this is, Jesus is saying, just protect me while I go and pray and do what I need to do. And sometimes that's all you're doing. Sometimes you're just the one just bouncing, bouncing things off. And let me tell you something. Somebody comes up to you before church and starts something negative, and I know nobody in here would do that, but I'm just saying, if somebody does come in our church and they do that, here's what I want you to do. Say, you know what? That's great. We'll talk to the pastor about that after church. But can we just get in and worship the Lord this morning? Can we see what God will do? Because I tell you something, I know that when God gets inside of here, man, it just makes me feel good because the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I'm excited that you're here this morning. And turn that negative away, negativity away so that the pastor comes up here or the worship leader or the person giving the announcements, whoever it is, doesn't have to be thinking, well, you know, uh, JoJo over there, uh, he doesn't like me. He's mad at me because I said and instead of, you know, something else. Instead of sure, you know, because I paused for a second. He's not happy because I didn't say yes immediately. Does it really matter? And then we can let the Holy Spirit work on them, and maybe they won't be negative when we get finished. Maybe they'll come up and they go, man, that was a great service this morning. Thank you. Thank you that you didn't let me get negative this morning. But sometimes it's just that you have 
the back of that person. It may be the pastor, or it may be a Sunday school teacher that you've got their back, or it may just be somebody in that pew that you've got their back. But the Lord wants us to have that kind of relationship. He doesn't want to do it alone. That's why you're important to God's plan. He doesn't want to do it alone. Otherwise, he wouldn't create humans because he could have created anything else. And when you look in the book of Revelation, you see all the, 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 the creatures in heaven. There's going to be some crazy looking creatures when we get to heaven, I'm telling you. You think Narnia is weird? I think when we get to heaven, it's going to be even weirder, I'm telling you. The Lord is a creator. He is a creator. I, you think these things we come up in our minds are, I mean, I think we're going to get to heaven. We're going to be like, what's that, Lord? That looks like a hippopotamus and, and, and a giraffe combined. That's a fat, long neck. What is that? Oh, yeah, I did put those down there on earth, you know. But I was just wanting to create something, so I created this. Oh, this one's talks, too. You want to talk to it? <laughs> hey, the serpent talked. What can I say? The serpent talked. Mark chapter 15, verse 20 through 24. You can come on up to the piano. Mark chapter 15, verse 20 through 24, and he says this. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him again, and they led him away to be crucified. A passerby named Simon, who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside just then, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus, and they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which is the place of the skull. And they offered him wine drugged with myrrh, but he refused it. Then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided his clothes through dice to decide who would get each piece. Now, the, 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 the question is here, uh, so what, what, what's, how does this story go in uh, to what we're talking about this morning? You are important to God's plan. Here is Simon of Cyrene, and when we look at the Scripture, Simon was the guy who carried the cross for Jesus up. When we look at the Scriptures, it shows us that Simon wasn't standing around with everybody else watching this happen. Simon, it appears just to be passing through, coming, coming into Jerusalem at this time. He's coming in, and Jesus is going out. And when he came in, the soldiers grabbed Simon and says, You, you're going to carry this cross. You're going to carry this up the hill. Now, you got to understand, Simon had to probably be a pretty, pretty strong guy because the cross that was being pulled up the hill probably weighed about 300 pounds. It wasn't light. You are important to God's plan. He was important to God's plan. The Bible says that he walked behind Jesus. And at the time, he didn't know who Jesus was. Simon was most likely a Jew, and he was most likely black. From the area that he came from, he was probably a black Jew. But he's walking, get this, he is carrying the cross behind Jesus as Jesus goes up. And if you, you know, Jesus was falling, Jesus had no strength. I, I still believe every time you watch a movie and Jesus is a scrawny little guy, I'd never believe it. I think Jesus was a strong guy. He might not have been the best looking guy, but I think he was a stout, strong Jewish man because he was a carpenter. So I think he was, he probably had muscles. But he couldn't do this, and so they say, you do this. Now think about Think about Simon. Anybody could have carried the cross that was in this crowd, but the Lord chose Simon. And Simon carried this cross all the way up the hill, not expecting to be a part of this thing. He didn't know what was going on. 
And as he's carrying the cross, I can envision blood was just running down his shirt, running down his clothes off that cross because Jesus had already been carrying it. He was getting blood on him from Jesus. I mean, think of Jesus' head laid up against that cross and blood going down his head. And, and, and he, you know, he, was, he had been beaten, torn to pieces. And he's carrying this cross up the hill and there's blood on that cross. And he gets on Simon and I could see Simon going, oh my goodness, man, this is nasty. It's blood's all over his hands and all over his arms. And he gets up there and he lays the cross down. And then I could just envision, all right, I've already walked up here. I'm, I just doubt that he turned around and walked away. He probably kind of backed away. And he watched as the soldiers nailed Jesus to that cross. And he was probably thinking in his head, what? Because he, he didn't have a news station back then to watch. He didn't know what was going on exactly. And I think he was looking back going, what did this guy do? But that's not it. I think he was still standing there and they picked that cross up. Those soldiers picked that cross up with Jesus on it, slid it, and it fell on that hole. When it fell in that hole and the agony he continued to hear because Jesus would have cried out when it fell. Ah! And after all of this, he's standing back and, and the, the Bible says that the women followed Jesus up there and they're over here crying. I could see him looking over there going, you know, these are Jews just like me. Many of these are Jews like me. And then on, on the sign above it, it read, King of the Jews. Here's, here's this Jewish Simon going, King of the Jews. And then while he's hanging up there, he hears, Father, forgive them where they don't know what they're doing. And I could see him going, what in the world? Who is this man? And he may have heard about him. He may have probably heard some people. He says, this is Jesus of Nazareth. I never heard anything bad about the guy. Why is he being hung up on a cross? And then at one point, there was a great earthquake. I think Simon was probably still standing there. And the, and the clouds and the skies darkened, and there was this great earthquake rumbled across. And then that Roman soldier was over there, and I think Simon could overhear that Roman soldier going, surely this man is a son of God. Why do I say all that? That would have stuck with Simon, right? And the Bible says that I think it was Peter, maybe been Paul, that Peter went and preached the gospel in Cyrene. And think when, when he got there, when the apostle got there to preach the gospel, that the story had already been told about Jesus. Because Simon would have went back and he would have said, hey, everybody, you got to listen to this. I got into Jerusalem. I was headed over there for Passover. I got in Jerusalem. Next thing you know, I'm carrying this cross up this hill. I had blood all over my hands, all around my neck, on my head, going down my shirt. And the guy in front of me, his skin was ripped off of him. He had this, he had this, this woven crown of thorns that had been stuck in his head. And it was sticking out of his head. And, and, and I had to follow him up this hill. 
all the way up this hill. I watched him as they did all the things they did to him. And you want to know what he said when they hung him up on on that cross? Father, forgive them. Oh, and let me tell you something else. There was was another, there was a guy beside him that was a criminal. And he says, will you remember me today? And he says, even today you'll be with me. He was even, he cared about that person that much. Now here's what's crazy. Because Simon was probably still in Jerusalem. You won't believe this. But a few days later, I heard that this guy, that Jesus rose from the dead. And then the power of the Holy Spirit with the apostle coming into town, speaking this word. Think of the people who goes, wait a minute. I've heard this story already because my neighbor was the one who carried that cross up that hill and heard all these things. And this is spread throughout this area already. So you think that Simon was a nobody, that he didn't matter? No, he is important to God's plan. Now you say, well, that you don't have anything to verify everything you said. No, I don't. But I think we can put all that in context and say, yes, this is very likely what happened. And that's you. You don't know, I say it all the time, whoever led Billy Graham to the Lord led millions of people to the Lord. And you don't know when you're in God's plan exactly what you're doing. You, you may say, oh, I just clean the toilets. Yeah, but that person who comes into the church and would have turned around and walked out if the toilets were dirty and not came back, now they stay. And now they become a part of the church. It seems a little bit ridiculous, but it's a little bit simple at the same time. Shaking a person's hand when they walk through the door, saying hi to somebody. Hey, we love you. Giving somebody a hug on the neck, saying, hey, I'm going to pray for you this week. You'd never know the little things like that, but you are important in God's plan. And don't let anybody ever tell you anyway, otherwise. And if you meet other people, I'm telling you, just tell them. You know, you are important to God's plan. You're going to blow their mind because I think there's too many people out there who don't have any idea that they're important. There's so many people out there who don't even think they're important to uh, anybody, much less God. And I think of Jim Daly, who is the president of Focus on the Family. Jim Daly was abandoned at 11 years old, abandoned at 11 years old, an orphan at 11 years old, abandoned at his own house. Nobody called anybody. And today he leads one of the biggest family organizations that we've ever seen in the United States, Jim Daly. So the person who, who the person who adopted Jim Daly, do you think they ever thought, oh, one day this guy's going to be in charge of this massive family organization? No. But that family, that mom and that dad, they are important to God's plan. Jim Daly, who was who was abandoned, he was important to God's plan. Everybody is important. You are important to God's plan, and I want you to be encouraged this morning that you are important to God's plan.